Hello and welcome to this new edition of the Lakers Side Chats, the first episode, a bit of a season preview. We've got two fantastic guests on, two returning guests. The first one I'll introduce is he's a senior writer for Lakers Nation. He hosts their podcast. He also does a front office podcast, an MBA savant. Trevor Lane, welcome, sir. Hey, thanks so much for having me back on, Alan. It's, it's a great pleasure. And the second returning guest I have, he's been on his third time, I think. He's on Lonzo Wire. He's on Lakers Outsiders. He's got his own Forum LA podcast. He video edits for the Lakers film room. Raj, welcome back. How are you? Doing well, thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, how excited are you guys? I'm so excited. I'm I'm fired up. I, I It feels like it's been forever since we've seen actual Lakers basketball, too. So for the season to really tip off and not just hearing, oh, this happened in training camp or, or you know, this secret workout has been going on with LeBron in Vegas, but to actually see basketball being played out there on the floor i can't wait i'm thrilled for the season to finally get going yeah i agree i can't wait the lakers started releasing like little pictures of practice and little videos and all of us are losing our minds over the little 45 second videos so i can't imagine when the 48 minute games start so yeah i'm ready i actually can't believe like i think the lakers fan base is the only fan base that analyzes two minutes of footage the way we do it's crazy (laughs) it's great and it gets you so excited, but you know, what what do you guys think are realistic expectations going into the season? I mean, people are obviously going to say title or bust, but you know, like it's obviously you know it's a very stacked Western Conference and it's never been stronger. So I just want to hear your guys' opinion, Trevor. You first. Sure. Yeah. I mean, as far as expectations, I certainly play off. So that was what we were saying last summer, and obviously that that didn't work out, but. Uh, certainly making the playoffs, I think, has to be the expectation here. And then beyond that, I think they've got to make it through at least a couple of rounds of the playoffs when you've got guys like AD and LeBron playing together. Plus the pieces, I think they fit a lot better than what they had last season. So expectations are going to be high. But like you said, the Western Conference is ridiculous. It is going to be a dogfight all the way through. There are basically every team except for two could talk themselves into being a playoff contender. And those two are the Memphis Grizzlies and the Phoenix Suns. I think there's no question that they aren't a playoff contender. But with so many quality teams in the West, it is going to be a battle night in and night out. So I don't know if you're looking for for win totals or anything like that, but I think it's going to be a real challenge for a lot of teams in the West to get win totals up near the like 60 range or anything. I think we're going to see a lot of teams bunched right in those 50s uh, maybe early 50s, 53 wins or so. I think that's going to be where we're going to see a lot of teams settle, and it's going to be a real close race all the way through to the end. Yeah, I agree with Trevor. Um, the playoffs is definitely the expectation. I think when you trade like half your team like you did for a guy like Anthony Davis, who's a free agent next year, you have to at least get through some rounds of the playoffs. Um, I, my thing is, though, at least the Western Conference Finals, I would like to see that, but exactly, that's going to be a really tight race, and who wins, like, I believe the second through the eighth seed last year was separated only by around six to seven games. So you could you go on a little losing streak, and that could put you from three to seven, and who has home court kind of could control the playoffs. So, but yeah, I think for expectations, this team would definitely, with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and this is a purely veteran core, so most of this should be uh, playoff tested, and I think they should at least go a couple rounds if they have home court, especially. Absolutely. Like, if you look at our roster, there's only really 
Alex Caruso and Carl Kuzma of the guys who are going to play who haven't played in playoff basketball previously, which is a stark difference to what we had last year, where it was primarily just LeBron and Lance and Rondo who'd played <laughs> big minutes in playoff games. It, and even you mentioned Memphis and Phoenix not being a playoff contender. They'll still be tough games, in my opinion, anyway. Like, Phoenix has their weird roster, as they always do, but it's full of good players. They just don't know how to use them. And Memphis is really young. and They they look, they might not win a lot of games, but I feel like they'll be very challenging in them games, especially if Ja Morant's as good as people have made him out to be, which I have no doubt to, like, distrust at this point. But And Jaron Jackson's fantastic, like... He's really good, and I think he's going to be really good for a long time. So the Western Conference is difficult, and I agree with both of you. I feel like the difference between two and seven, I don't think we'll ever be closer. Like, mm-hmm. and that I, I I see. I don't know if you guys follow the national reporting, and you see how favored like the Clippers are in comparison to us, and I don't see it. Like, I don't know what you guys think. I think we're going a bit off track here but like i was watching ramona shelburne and people like that saying the lakers roster's overhyped whereas the clippers roster's really stacked and i'm there like after you get past like the top six seven guys like as much as i like zubats and the way he played for us he's not better than ad or javale or dwight howard even for that matter as much as i like him you know Sure. I mean, if you look at the the Clippers, I mean, I like the Clippers roster. I think that they've put together a great team. I think they've got, um, I think Lou Williams is is still underrated even today. He's the kind of guy where if Paul George is out and he's going to be out the first few games of the season, you can throw Lou the ball and he can get you points in the fourth quarter. He's the kind of guy that can keep you ahead in a ball game with six minutes left, five minutes left, just by himself. He can just create offense on his own, and that that has real value. Montrez Harrell is one of my favorite bigs in the league, so I think that they've done a, a really nice job with the uh, with the Clippers. Much as I as I hate to say it, they've got a, a very solid roster defensively. There's a ton of potential, but I think what people aren't uh, aren't maybe giving enough credit to or aren't aren't understanding how difficult it's going to be is putting all these pieces together integrating paul george integrating Kawhi Leonard, knowing that paul george probably isn't going to be making any appearances until mm-hmm. what november at the earliest and then you've mm-hmm. got to bring him into the fold and, and you've got to work that all together it takes time to develop chemistry the lakers are going to deal with it too but it feels like we're discounting the lakers saying that oh they you know they need time to build chemistry without applying the same t- thing to the clippers when i think they're in a similar situation it's going to take time for them to put those pieces together and and really become a cohesive unit so i could see some some early bumps in the road for both teams right and i also think we've underrated what toronto was before that Kawhi came they had their playoff struggles but i mean they were a one seed before and they basically just swapped Kawhi with demar derozan um and they obviously had another great year going to the title, but the Clippers obviously depends on Paul George's health and, and all that, but I still think we're underrating how tough kind of it is just to have two stars jump in like that um, through a new team, and obviously the role, the role players are pretty much the same. But I still think it's going to be a lot, as you said, it's going to be a lot of adjusting to, and they, they have like no size in the middle as well, so um, obviously we have like the point guard uh, troubles, but they have a center problem over there with uh, Subak and Montrez Harrell trying to defend Anthony Davis and um, as you said the West is tough I mean a team you didn't even mention yet was the Sacramento Kings um, they're probably going to be better so there's like no really um, easy wins in the season um, yeah it's going to be fun to see how it, how it shapes up no absolutely and 
with, with the Clippers, I know I I do that trade ten times out of ten for Paul George. Right. But again, at the same time, like if I'm the Clippers, I'm also really worried about Paul George. Like having two shoulder surgeries on your shooting shoulder isn't the greatest thing before the start of your season. You know, I don't know what you guys think about that, but. No, absolutely. That's uh, that's definitely cause for concern. You know, Paul George had an, an MVP caliber season last year. Like that's how mm-hmm. good he was. But how much of that was based on his his shooting percentages, which were which were very very good for him last season. I'm actually looking up the stat right now. Um, but so Paul George was was tremendous. But the question is, is there going to be a regression? And maybe not even a regression because you know he's put in less work or he's hurt or anything. Just a regression because you can only stay stay hot for so long, and sometimes it's hard to keep up that level of shooting. Thirty nine percent from three last season for uh, for Paul George, which is uh, slightly above his average, but he was making some really, really difficult shots. Uh, points per game were the highest they've ever been at 28 points per game with OKC last season. So I don't know. Do we see a little bit of a, a down downtick for Paul George? I mean, we're talking in, in Lakers land, we're talking about the same thing with Danny Green. Can he possibly shoot 46% from three again? Is, uh-huh. that, is that even possible? Can Paul George stay at that level? Because if he's not, and he takes a step back. That's certainly going to be a detriment to the Clippers. And then Kawhi himself, you know, he's battled injuries as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how all that all that comes together. Um, I don't I don't look at the Clippers and just assume they're going to be some unstoppable juggernaut. I think we have to see how it all plays out first. Right, and also I don't think Paul George and Kawhi have played with um, two ball hand, handling wings uh, as each other before. They're going to need as much usage and dominate. Obviously, Paul George just played with Russell Westbrook, but I'm still adjusting to another wing. And then they used to close games with, like, Lou Williams um, and Montrezl Harrell, obviously, uh, running the pick and roll, and we'll see how they adjust. I don't think Kawhi and Paul George are just going to go stand in the corners while that happens in fourth quarter. So kind of interested to see how Doc plays with that, those lineups too. Yeah, I mean, look, hey, on, on paper, the Clippers are a very, very good team, and I and I don't want, I don't want to say that they're not going to be good because I think they are going to be good. But I'm just saying there's going to be some challenges here for them, just like there's going to be a challenge challenges for a lot of teams in the Western Conference this season. No, absolutely. Uh, one thing that has excited me, I don't know about you guys, has been Coach Vogel and the way he's talked about the team. And he seems like the adult in the room that the Lakers front office slash coaching staff always needed. And I'm surprised to be saying this because... I wasn't down on the signing per se, but as we all know, what happened with Ty Lue and that whole debacle, it, it wasn't a great look for the franchise in itself. So I want to hear your thoughts on Coach Vogel, the way he's acted so far, the way everyone seems to be buying into what he's saying as well. Even like LeBron and AD are talking really highly of him, which I know LeBron is tr- doing his best not to be labeled as a coach killer, but he can say things that don't exactly back up the coach, but don't exactly belittle him either you know so i want to hear your guys opinions on that well so far coming out of training camp we're hearing that there's been a focus on on defense that's been the the order of the day has been to get the defense right and i think that's absolutely the right way to go this team's going to need to create turnovers um i look at the um, the first year of the big three Miami Heat as kind of the the example where the offense took a lot of time to develop, but they got wins by just playing really, really good defense. And, you know, Anthony Davis has said he wants to be a defensive player of the year. Uh, you've got Avery Bradley. He's been, I mean, we've been hearing just rave reviews about him during training camp, that he's been playing incredible defense, that he looks like his old self, all, all these things. 
So I think the focal point being on the defensive end is important, especially when you've got a guy like LeBron, when you've got Anthony Davis. These are guys who can manufacture stuff on their own without needing an intricate offense put in place. So I like that Vogel has made that his focus. And it's not a surprise because he was known for his defensive schemes when he was with the Indiana Pacers. Um, but I do want to throw in this this one you know, word of caution here is that it's still training camp. And at this time of year, optimism runs wild. This is what we hear you know, pretty much every every year from every single team, every team feels like they're the they're in great shape at this point. Every player has put on 10 to 15 pounds of muscle. Everybody is going to have their best season ever. And then, of course, once the season starts, that's that's you know never the case. There's going to be some bumps in the road. So I'll say so far, so good for Frank Vogel. But I'm more interested to see what the comments are being made in January and February when we hit the dog days of the season. Then what are we hearing coming out of out of the Lakers players and what are we hearing from Frank Vogel? I think that's going to be ultimately more telling for his uh, success as far as uniting this team and bringing them all together. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I still remember when Luke Walton signed up, he said all the right things as well. Um, I believe everything was kind of perfect coming out of uh, camp. Obviously, that changed when the game started. But um, I, I think on a team, you need guys who know their role. And I think Frank Vogel knows like his role is not to be like the loud kind of chirping guy. I mean, he might not even be the star coach on the team that goes on to Jason Kidd somehow. But um, it, I, I like everything that he said. He said like he's focusing on uh, analytical approach to the game. Um, he said he's going to use like defensive rating to kind of uh, look at lineups and things like that. Um, and I like that he said he's going to try to like uh, keep one of LeBron and AD on the floor at all times because um, you know, the substitutions were kind of a problem last year for uh, Laker fans know that. But um, yeah, I, I like everything that he said. And obviously, like you said, Trevor, it's very it's very early. So we, we really won't know anything till the game start. And obviously on Saturday, we'll probably get a better picture of what his what he's been impl- implementing in training camp. No, definitely. And, you know, I feel like uh, as a just it's weird because you don't have that idea of Magic Johnson just peering over at your head at any point and undermining the coach every step of the way. I feel like that helps a lot as well. Yeah, it's, it's Kurt Rambis now though, right? <laughs> it's, it's the Rambi. Yeah, that's true. Whatever the front office is, we still have no like clear idea of what the front office is. We have some vague we can guess, but I feel like they'll do a better job of keeping out of the way until they absolutely have to, which I think is an improvement on last year, to be fair. I don't know what you guys think about that. I feel like it makes their job a bit easier because I feel like Luke Walton was burdened with magic being over his being in his space. I know he wasn't the greatest coach, and I'm not saying you know he shouldn't have been fired i feel like it was the right time for him to move on but i feel like the circumstances around everything last year certainly didn't help him yeah for sure i mean look the the whole situation with with the front office is i mean there was a lot of turmoil and i think that now it's about putting the pieces back together and about making sure that they're a cohesive unit and and lebron has already gone out of his way to compliment them and he said that i mean there's no question that they're they made mistakes this offseason i mean look at the whole coaching hire uh disaster when they were talking to monty williams and Ty Lue and and then monty williams goes mm-hmm. to the suns and Ty Lue they can't come to an agreement with and then frank vogel who was going to be an assistant coach is suddenly a head coach candidate and, and next thing you know he's got the job they it wasn't perfect that's for sure but the fact that you've got lebron coming out here saying he loves the the summer that they had and they did a great job and he gives them all this credit and all that that's 
I think that's a positive thing. Uh, it's, it takes a little bit of the heat off of them. But, uh, but yeah, the jury's out at this point. We'll see what this front office does with Rob Palenka at the helm because they took a lot of criticism for just letting Rob Palenka slide up a role, essentially, and, and kind of take power. But, um, you know, we're going to have to wait to see how it all plays out. Well, it'll be judged based on the moves that we see over the next uh, year, I guess. And then until, if and when, Anthony Davis inks that long-term deal next summer. Yeah, that's that's basically what this analysis will be judged on because they pretty much traded all their future stuff for Anthony Davis. So, and yeah, we'll probably hear less leaks come out. I mean, we know that um, Magic was probably a part of a lot of that, and not having someone from the team go on like first take or something and uh, blowing it up probably would create less drama. But yeah, it's, it'll be remain to see how they how many wins they get. And this roster still has, I mean, flaws, and there's people ready to come down on it if if this year goes a certain way. So, uh, yeah, we have to see for that. Uh, I agree there is flaws, but I feel like with the options that were had, obviously, because of waiting for Kawhi, which I don't right. think is their fault whatsoever, I feel like they did a really good job with the roster, with what we had. We, we got the best free agent available as well at the time. So, right. I, it's, you know... I don't think people realize just how good Danny Green is. Even if he's shooting at, let's say, 40% instead of 46, he'll be such mm-hmm. an upgrade over anyone we've had on the wing as a three-point shooter. I don't. It, it, you'll only start to notice it once the season goes on. I don't know what you guys think about that. but Yeah, I mean, look, Danny Green, the, my concern with Danny Green is that people aren't going to understand the quiet brilliance of his game and how he's just so efficient. It's very easy to overlook and without digging deeper into the stats to really get how good he is because you look and you see 10 points per game and you go, oh, this guy's not that great. But then when you dig deeper and you see what he can do on the defensive end, you see how efficient he is as a shooter, the the spacing that he provides, the gravity because other teams have to stay attached to him. That's all important and that all matters. And that shows up. That's why he's finished so high in real plus minus over the last five years or whatever. Um, He's been number one or number two just about every year, except for his one down year with the Spurs two seasons ago. Um, This Mm -hmm. is a guy who does a lot of things that aren't going to show up on the general box score. So I think that as, as analysts, as people covering the team, that's going to be one of the challenges for us is going to be pointing out to the, the general fan base, how Danny green is such a good player when his stats in the, in the box score box score, don't just like jump off the page at you. Right, he's probably the best shooter we've had in a very long time, and he's like the perfect modernized player. Um, he gets like threes and layups pretty much only, and uh, having a guy like that on the wing on like a LeBron AD pick and roll, that's gonna be just deadly. And obviously, like you said, people probably won't understand his like significance, but I mean, when you have a guy that you cannot leave off of on help situations on tag when you're trying to tag like Anthony Davis on the roll is. He's gonna give the Lakers uh, quite a quite a weapon there with those three and and Danny Green, LeBron, and AD in in terms of offensive options. No, definitely. And one guy I'm I'm excited about seeing, and I don't know how big his role will be, but from the buzz, Rondo bigged him up. Even Frank Vogel took a time to mention Alex Caruso, and I'm I'm intrigued to see what a his role will be in the team because by looking at you know the limited two minute footage we get. It looks like he's been playing with the second unit, so I don't know if that means that he'll be getting quite a few minutes once the season starts, but if he is, I feel like that would only be a plus in the Lakers column because I feel like 
as a backup point guard. I've mentioned it a lot of times. I see a comp really well with what Fred Van Vliet was for Toronto. I know everyone remembers what Fred Van Vliet was in the finals, but over the season, he was a really good, solid backup point guard. Came in, did his job, didn't do anything crazy, and just kept the offense ticking over while Kawhi or Kyle Lowry were on the bench. So I don't know what you guys think about Alex Caruso. I'm sure you're like the rest of the Laker fans who are in love with the guy, but... Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to be at this point. It's it's Alex Caruso, Captain America, the bald mamba, whatever you want to call him. This guy <laughs> this guy is uh, he's a lot of fun to watch. I mean, just a great story battling his way up through the G League, going undrafted, all the all that kind of stuff. I mean, he kind of like he won over Lakers fans a few seasons ago when uh, it was summer league and he uh, he du- out dueled. Uh, De'Aaron Fox in summer league in Las Vegas. And he was filling in for Alonzo Ball, who was, was injured that game. And, uh, and so ever since then, he's been a fan favorite and his legend among Lakers fans has only grown. Uh, he's interesting. I, I think that what we've been hearing coming out of training camp is that they've actually been bouncing him between the one and the two. Yeah, he's been with the second unit, but they've they've been plugging him in next to Quinn Cook, next to Rondo, next to Avery Bradley, KCP, all these different players just to see fits. But I, I mean, on one hand, you worry a little bit about the minutes if he's really being looked at solely as a second unit guy. But on the other, the fact that Frank Vogel feels comfortable enough with him, putting him in either spot, and he's 6'5", so he can he can play the two in a pinch. Um, I think that suggests that there's a little bit of flexibility there. Perhaps there's a little bit of a path to minutes just because he can play in either spot. I, I don't think anything is set in stone at this point. Who knows? It's possible he plays his way into a, a starting role. I mean, you never know what what's going to happen between now and, and opening night. But uh, but for the time being, you know what? Alex Caruso was tremendous in the 25 games that we saw him last season. He stayed ready, which isn't always easy when a player's down in the G League. He took advantage of his opportunity, and uh, yeah, I think everybody's rooting for him this season. Want to see uh, want to see more good things out of him? Yeah, I thought it was strange that he somehow played less games last year than he did the year before. And I think even the year before, he was kind of still like a little bit of a cult hero, not as much obviously as this season. Um, but yeah, when you look at the Lakers like lineup, I mean Lakers roster and their guards, um, they have very few guards who can really like play pick and roll as the ball handler, and he's one of the few ones that can do it and score and shoot off of it. So um, I think that's why a lot of Lakers fans also want him to start. Now I'm not sure if he's ready for that. I mean, 25 games going from those end of the season games to like legit uh, games who that matter for like the playoffs. But yeah, I think I think he's a real deal. Um, the what what I'm looking forward to for him is like the way that they saw him in the summer is they paid him like as one of the higher higher paying guards on the team. They actually I think he was making more than even Rondo this season. So that's giving me hope that that'll translate into the into the minutes. But yeah, I'm excited for Alex Caruso. I, I think he's a legit uh, guard in the league. Uh, it's, it's, it's it's good to hear that you know I'm not the only one who thinks that. Uh, one question I do want to ask before we move on, is there any other under-the-radar people, obviously we don't have to, we'll talk about AD and LeBron later on, but is there any other under-the-radar guys that you guys have pegged as being a potential you know, guy who will contribute quite a bit? Yeah, I'm really interested to see what Quinn Cook can bring. I think that he's, um, you know, I'm not expecting to see a ton of minutes from him or anything, but uh, the defense was obviously a huge concern with him. He was, in terms of, uh, points per possession given up. He was right down around what what Rondo was doing last season as one of the worst guards in the league, and so that's that's not great. But he can somewhat mitigate that by his presence on the offensive end. This guy's a forty percent shooter from three for his career, 
anytime you put a shooter his caliber out there with guys like AD, like LeBron, they're going to get open looks and they can be devastating out there. But I also like that uh, like he, he can operate in the pick and roll. He's capable of doing that. He's pretty good shooting coming out of the, off of a screen. And so he can do that and, and has a nice little pull-up mid-range jumper. Not a lot of guys on the team can do that, like uh, like Roger was saying. So this is a this is a guy who I think could make a big difference coming off the bench for the Lakers, Quinn Cook. Um, excited to see what a shooter of his caliber can do out there for, for the team. Yeah, uh, I forgot about Quinn Cook. Yeah, he has a really nice uh, mid-range game, like you said. And I was kind of looking at uh, through the roster, and I was trying to see. Uh, not many people are talking about. They're saying like Jared Dudley might get just like spot minutes, but uh, watching the Nets last year, he was a huge contributor and a big part of why they made the playoffs. Um, he really helped their defense, and I'm excited for him to obviously work with uh, Kyle Kuzma. Obviously, I think Avery Bradley's been the star of camp, but I really, I would really like to hear about how Jared Dudley's kind of. Uh, working to the defense, um, him as a communicator on that end. And I think he's like the perfect vet that'll spot up and hit threes. So, yeah, I'm looking for a big year out of him this year too. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, he's not been practicing the past couple of days, has he? Because of soreness, I think Frank Vogel said. So, oh, right, yeah. Right. Yep, but that's that's just called being 34 years old. That's, that, that's <laughs> what happens. <laughs> no, if it means he'll be ready in February or in early May or something like that, then, you know, I'd rather he miss these next couple of days of training camp, you know. Right. All right. Let's move on. I said we'll, we'll, we'll talk about AD and LeBron. I'm really excited for it. Uh, the, the idea of a LeBron AD pick and roll is just tantalizing to me. Like, you know, it, it's something that I'd... Having an essentially a six-eight point guard with his six-eleven power forward slash center, whatever he wants to call himself, he can call himself as long as he's happy. I'm really excited for it. I don't know what you guys think, but oh yeah, definitely. I mean, thrilled to see what AD and LeBron can do playing off of each other. I think you can make an argument. Dwayne Wade probably wouldn't agree, but you can make an argument that Anthony Davis is the best teammate that LeBron has ever had. Um, this is the, the potential is here for this to be a absolutely devastating duo for the rest of the league. You you can certainly make the argument there that they are the best duo in the NBA. Now, obviously, we have to see how it plays out once they actually actually uh, set foot on the on the court. But I'm with you. I'm excited to see the LeBron AD pick and roll. But given what's being said, I'm almost more excited to see what they do on the defensive end. Um, LeBron was just an average defender last year, but if Anthony Davis is is being serious about wanting to be the defensive player of the year and wanting to hold everyone else accountable, and LeBron has already made it pretty clear that this is transitioning to be Anthony Davis's team. I mean, LeBron wanted to give him his jersey number, wanted to give him 23. I think that's going to happen next season instead of this season here, but um, wanted to mm-hmm. give him his jersey number, went to management, said, hey, we need to run the offense through him. It feels like there is a, it's going to be a gradual passing of the torch. And so I'm curious to see what kind of a leadership role Anthony Davis can take. And if he's really in that mindset on the defensive end, what can that do to the Lakers defense? And is everybody going to fall in line along side Anthony Davis. It's going to be really fun to watch because I think there's a ton of potential on that end of the floor, just like the LeBron Davis pick and roll on the offensive end could be incredible. Yeah, and this is what you pay for, right? This is why you give up Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and our picks for the next 10 years, um, basically, is, is to team these two maybe top five players at the least um, together. I mean, this LeBron AD, LeBron AD pick and roll should, especially with the shooters around, should pretty much dominate. And I 
And I think this is the best duo in the league because of the way they can play off each other. Like Kawhi and Paul George kind of uh, might run into like the same kind of actions or other stars might run into the same kind of actions. But like Anthony Davis finishes whatever LeBron starts, you know what I mean? And vice versa. And they can kind of work together on, on the offensive end to just be just a duo that that's might be like unstoppable at, at most points with a lot of teams. They, they don't really have the personnel to stop a guy like Anthony Davis when he's ready rolling to the rim or when LeBron turns a corner on the on the screen you have to help and then there's just a lot of situations and like you said defensively um, if LeBron's engaged which I'm not sure will be every night but um, if, he, if he has if you have LeBron and AD on your defense uh, engaged it's going to be really tough to stop so yeah I can't wait to watch this on Saturday I'm hoping they at least play the first half I'm not expecting big minutes out of them but yeah I'm ready to see it see it live on on Saturday. Yeah, so let me let me tell you guys this. I am. We've been talking about how excited we are for for Saturday. Mm-hmm. I, I actually have to miss this game. Oh my God. <laughs> I am, and it's it's killing me. It's my anniversary, and so we, my wife and I, planned oh. something way before the schedule came out, and so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to somehow stay off Twitter. I don't even know how I'm gonna do it, <laughs> but somehow I'm gonna have to get caught up. And so I'm I'm super excited for this this first night. And at the same time it's like it's like bittersweet because I know I'm not gonna be able to watch it live. It's it's gonna kill me. <laughs> at least we have league pass, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but the one the probably the most the most thing the the thing I'm most excited for is AD's playmaking. I think AD as a playmaker, as a passer, I think he's, I don't think he's the best in the NBA, but I do think it's an underrated aspect of his game because he is so good at scoring, especially in the post, really defensively. We already know if he's engaged, what he's about. You know, I think he could easily average between four and a half and five assists a game, which would be huge for the Lakers. Yeah, absolutely. Anthony Davis, I mean, he is underrated as a as a playmaker. You look at his uh, assist totals have gone up every year. Last year, 3.9 assists per game with with the Pelicans. Now, you can imagine maybe that, that that may actually dip a little bit if the ball is in LeBron's hands a lot, which it probably will be. But still, Anthony Davis is a guy who can certainly create. And I'm really curious to see when you've got Anthony Davis and he's getting the ball in in, say, the high post area, and you've got guys who know how to cut. And I'm talking about Kyle Kuzma, Alex Caruso, and Avery Bradley. These guys all in either last season or at some point in their careers have done a tremendous job of punishing teams for turning their heads and paying attention to the stars. Uh, I'm really curious to see what AD can do hitting some of these cutters because I think it could be a really uh, sneaky part of the Lakers attack when you've got these guys cutting baseline and Anthony Davis has the ball looking over the top of the defense. Yeah, I agree. Like you said, he was at like almost four assists last year, and you see him working like on his ball handling, and and I think he kind of sees himself as like a as a guard that's just seven foot. So you see him doing like uh, behind the back and pulling out like crazy dribble moves. But yeah, if you can see the floor and see cutters, um, and working with LeBron, obviously LeBron's I believe one of the best passers to ever play the game and probably the best control of like a half court offense. Kind of working there, um, knowing what reads and. I mean, he's going to see all the type of health defenses and they're going to be doubling to try to stop that duo. And he's going to need to be able to hit corner corner three shooters um, in their pocket and know when to hit a, a separate three-point shooter on the other side of the floor and seeing cutters. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man, for, for this to start. Oh, definitely. And the more I think we talk about it, I think the more excited we get as well. You know, 
it's Anthony Davis and LeBron. I don't know what you guys think about LeBron, though. LeBron looks really good, like, body-wise. He looks a lot leaner than he did last year. He looks mm-hmm. a lot more... I wouldn't say tuned in because I think he was focused up until the groin injury, but when the groin injury happened, I think he did put on some weight. But I feel like that's just becoming a 34-year-old, you know? like. Yeah, sure. I mean, this is... The best case scenario is that all of this kind of LeBron revenge tour stuff that we're hearing turns out to be true. Turns out to be that that he is just on a mission and that he is is going to be dominant out there. And that's that, that's the ideal. Now, of course, he is going to have to. I mean, he, father time's undefeated, so you're going to have to monitor his minutes a little bit. You're going to have to uh, make sure that you're not trying to overload him or, or anything like that. I'd expect him to see him play very very sparingly here in preseason games. So that's going to be something that Frank Vogel is going to have to do. You know, I mean, obviously the term going around now is load management. So we're, we'll keep an eye on that. But, but yeah, I mean, look, Le- LeBron's in great shape. He looks like he's on a mission. He looks like he's got something to prove this season. And uh, that's a very, very scary thought for the rest of the NBA. Yeah. It's funny. I see a lot of like, he had a down year last year and everything, and he still put up 28, eight and eight in his sleep. You know I mean? <laughs> in a lot of games where he wasn't really even going full hundred percent because they were out of the playoff picture and all that. And yeah, everything that he said, he said he's ready and, he does look leaner than last year, and I believe that groin injury was a serious like wake up call for him in terms of his uh, injury history and all that. But yeah, he looks he looks ready to come out, and he's heard everything from the, the best player in the league rankings and where the Lakers will finish and how many people uh, see their title odds and things like that. I mean, this is a guy that just dragged like a bunch of teams to the finals. Those Cleveland teams had no business being in the finals, and now he has like a top top five player in the league next to him. So. Yeah, he, he looks ready to go. Um, absolutely. And the biggest thing with LeBron, I feel like that groin injury, I feel like we it was played a little less seriously than when it actually was. He just mm-hmm. didn't look right even when he came back. I feel like he was still playing with it. So hopefully this almost six months that he had, obviously he was still you know working out and stuff, but the six months of rest without any games has done him some good and hopefully it will have healed up and we get LeBron that we had towards the start of the season. Because even when he was locked in on defense, which wasn't very often, mind, at the start of the year, but when he was and he was still LeBron, it's just a case of we have to be able to make sure. I think I feel like that's why Anthony Davis will help a lot, even with his deficiencies defensively when he decides that he needs to take a bit of time out. I feel like having Anthony Davis, having JaVale, I think, even think having a person like Dwight off the bench Dwight's, by all accounts, has been very serious and very professional. And I don't know what you guys think about Dwight. I feel like he's sort of turned a corner. I know he always does this spiel where he's, you know, says the right things and stuff. But it's just the way he acts now. It seems a bit different. Yeah, I mean, he kind of has to. His back is against the wall right here. This is this is it for him. This is the last shot. I mean, if he if he washes out here and the Lakers wind up cutting him, where does he go? Right at this point, where the 33 years old, he's burned bridges in a lot of different places, uh, spent a lot of last season injured. It, it's not a not going to be an easy easy task for him to go land somewhere else if things don't work out. So so yeah, I mean he has to be on his best behavior, and particularly because he's got money on the line. And I think that's maybe I don't want to say it's overlooked because it, it's not, but you have to understand that that Dwight had on his last contract that was eventually, you know, got traded to the Memphis Grizzlies, Dwight had all that money, whatever it was, 5.5 million, I think, 
uh, that was all guaranteed. So that was that was money in his pocket. It was coming his way unless he did something absolutely atrocious that would somehow void the deal. And he voluntarily converted what half of that two point six million into non guaranteed money by signing with the Lakers and buy and agreeing to that buyout with the Memphis Grizzlies. He's now on a totally non guaranteed contract. So he is as uh, as I believe it was Frank Vogel. Uh, or perhaps it was Polinka said he's putting his money where his mouth is. That's exactly what what he's doing here. He is risking a lot of money in order to have the opportunity to prove that he still has it and he can still be a contributing factor on a contender. So I think that, yeah, you are going to see the very best out of Dwight Howard that you can possibly get. And if it doesn't work here, then I don't I don't know what else you could you could expect from him. I don't think anybody else could expect him to find success if he can't find it here with that much money on the line. Yeah, I think you hit it on the, the nail on the head. I mean, it's he's being paid by the day, basically. I mean, he's being just a prorated rate um, all the way until I believe they can cut him all the way until January and just have mm-hmm. no more no more money guaranteed. So, and he's with a bunch of veterans. I mean, I think he was on I believe Washington last year, only played nine games because he was hurt. But I mean, before that was Charlotte. Those aren't really like veteran laden teams. Those are kind of teams in the bottom kind of. Um, but now you're with like LeBron James. I mean, Anthony Davis. I mean, you have to be on your like best behavior you're not going to play i mean before he was playing because he was the best talent you couldn't sit dwight howard i mean he was still dwight howard right now he could just not get any minutes if he doesn't do the right thing so he said all the right things but i mean i'm in the wait and see mode with him i mean i feel like i've seen this movie like five times and i've seen the ending (laughs) the same amount of times so uh i still kind of want to see how this works out but he said all the right things and in the practice obviously it's two minutes of tape like you said I mean we're but I mean he was rebounding and uh trying to screen off ball and cutting hard to the rim and that's all you can really ask of him as long as he's not begging for post touches down there which I'm, I'm hopeful doesn't happen this year um, <laughs> uh, I think I think it'll be fine uh, uh, it's yeah definitely and with Dwight it is like that thing where but I hope that he's matured. It's weird saying matured for a 33-year-old man. But I feel like he has been immature in the past five, six years in the way that he thinks about himself. like he, I feel like he's still thought, especially from Atlanta onwards, that he's still Dwight Howard, the perennial MVP um, contender, defensive player of the year, you know, that he was in Orlando, which he isn't. And sometimes... The players as good as that, they, they can't face their mortality. I think we've seen that with Carmelo Anthony as well. So hopefully, I hope he's come to that realization, you know. So. Yeah, sure. I mean, that that's not an easy thing to do. For a guy who has been the guy on every team he's been on since he was, what, eight years old or whatever it is, to a guy who's been the star all the way up to suddenly you get and you're 30 years old, you're 31 or, or whatever it is, once father time starts catching up with you to suddenly reconcile that the player you've been over the last 20 years of your life, you're not that guy anymore. And you've got to accept that different role than everything you've become accustomed to. That's not an easy transition. And that's, you know, people ask, why did the Lakers sign? You already mentioned Carmelo Anthony. Why did the Lakers sign Jared Dudley over Carmelo Anthony? This is why it's because right. that's not an easy transition to make. And Jared Dudley has that mentality. He doesn't care if he gets, one shot a night if he gets four shots a night which is what he averaged if he plays 20 minutes and all he does is play deep he's fine with that right that's something that we don't know if Carmelo Anthony can do that and we don't know if that's going to be Dwight Howard or not so far he said all the right things but again 
going back to this point, let's see if he's still saying those things in January. Let's see what that looks like because right now this is the season for optimism. Yeah, and like like you said, Dwight Dwight hasn't even come off the. I think he's only come off the bench once in his career. I mean, in his long career, he's come off the bench one time. So um, he could say all the things now as it's all happy. And the Lakers have a pretty light schedule. So, I mean, it's easier to do these things when you're winning. Um, my worry is when, like, we hit a three-game losing streak and then somebody puts a microphone in his face after getting five minutes. You know what I mean? That That's where I'm a little a little worried. But uh, right now, I think in the beginning, it will be all, all, uh, all good until – until we get like a speed bump or something, that's when we'll really see if he's changed or adapted. I don't know if you listened to Zach Lowe's podcast. Um, he, I think it was him. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on it. But he was. I think he was talking about uh, Dwight going around Staples with uh, post touches. Oh yeah. Day, you know. <laughs> so hopefully we don't get that. We don't get that. Dwight. Uh, no. Transitioning over to the roster, though, in a whole, as the roster is stood at the moment, what do you guys think is the ceiling? Do you think it's winning an NBA championship? Do you feel like we're just short at this moment? Or Yeah, I mean, look, if everything breaks right, then potentially. I mean, they could. Like, if, if they can make it out of the Western Conference, sure, there, there's definitely a shot there for them to win a championship. I still say they'd be probably a season away. I want to see what they do with their mid-level exception next summer. They they can add some pieces, add a little bit more firepower. Who knows, maybe even get Boogie Cousins back. You know, I think there's some tweaks still to be made here to this roster. I, I worry a little bit about the lack of depth on the wing in terms of just having wing defenders. You know, like a, a guy like an Andre Iguodala would be a big addition just because of that. But, um, but yeah, look, if, if everything breaks right for them and the shooters do what they need to do and the team's defense really clicks and and Dwight Howard shows up all the way through the season and um, and all these things happen and AD really does become like a defensive player of the year level player and perhaps even an MVP level player, um, then sure. I mean, championship could be the the absolute season, uh, ceiling for them. That's I don't think that's completely out of the question. Yeah, this is a strange season. I mean, you... You take KD off the Warriors now, and he's in Brooklyn. But, I mean, there's, like, I think seven teams who can win the title and believe that they're in that kind of mix. And I feel like the Lakers are right there. I mean, I'd go to war with LeBron James and Anthony Davis anytime. Um, I would like to start with a little bit of a higher seed. That's the only thing I worry about with the West being so packed. Like, if they start at, like, a six seed, you would have to pretty much, unless there's some upsets, win on the road every single series. I think they can do that one or two, once or twice. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I think we're, like, one or two pieces away. Like, Iguodala would be a big help. I mean, he's, uh, he's like, more of, like, a playoff player, though. So, I mean, in the regular season, he'll kind of coast. But I think he would be huge in the playoffs. And I still think they need one more guard. Like, I, I feel like you need a above-average, like, guard to at least – to win the title, and that's that's what I think they're missing. But uh, I feel like they can be anyone on any night, and that works in the playoffs as well. So yeah, title is definitely their title is definitely in their ceiling. I I, I believe so as well. Um, but what I did want to say was we we did mention Andre Iguodala. First of all, do Memphis actually think they're going to get a first round pick for him? <laughs> <laughs> well, they they are pretending that they're going to get a first round pick. They're putting it out there that they're 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 in a staring contest with the rest of the league, and who knows, it could go right. all the way up till the trade deadline. But uh, <laughs> if I'm the rest of the league, I'm saying, uh, wait a second, you already got a first round pick. Right. We're taking on Iguodala's salary, that 17 million dollars. So now they want to get a first for trading him as well for giving him to somebody else. I don't know <laughs> if it's going to happen, but I'm sure Memphis is hoping that 
as the season goes on and injuries occur and all that, somebody's going to get desperate. And maybe one of these teams that feels like they could win a championship this season will fork over what they're looking for. I mean, that's, I guess that's the the hope for Memphis. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. Andre Iguodala has been having some cryptic tweets as well um, going, going through this situation. But anyway, with a $17 million salary, it's kind of tough to find because basically you would only trade him to a contender. A bad team wouldn't really want to take on Andre Iguodala anyway um, and give up as a first-round pick for it nonetheless. And then it's not easy for good teams to give up $17 million of salary. So the Clippers, for example, would have to give up like Mo Harkless. And I'm not sure if they want to even do that deal in the first place. So it, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see. I don't, I don't think Memphis will get a first-round pick for him. I mean, I think if they wait all the way till the deadline, they'll get something. But I don't think they will do that. Iguodala is like a very respected guy in the NBA. I, I just don't see him like making him wait all the way until uh, the trade deadline to um, and or hold him like captive, <laughs> captive in in Memphis until that long. I feel like this gets done before the season starts, in my opinion. He's he's not reported to their camp either, has he? They've given him time to work out and stuff, which is weird in itself. Like right. It's it's a strange situation because, like you said, he's such a respected guy. Usually, with cases like this, it's done by now. Like you said, they've already got their first round pick from the Warriors. Like, it's a weird situation. And weirdly, I think having Rob Palinka might actually help us in the (laughs) the Dallas sweepstakes. Obviously, having LeBron and AD will help massively. But the fact that he's his former agent and there's obviously a relationship there. I'm, I'm sure that that could work out as well in our favor. Yeah, absolutely. That that certainly isn't going to hurt. Um, you know, right now, Memphis allowing uh, Andre Iguodala to, to work out wherever he wants and not go report to them is just them trying to met, mitigate the negative PR hit that right. they're getting by doing this. Because, like you said, you're taking a respected veteran and you're not letting him go out on his own terms. And that would, And you would do that by... By releasing him, by coming to a buyout agreement and letting him go finish his career, because this is probably, or at least good chance, this will be the last season of his career, um, by letting him go to the the team that he wants to go to. And so you're going to get a negative backlash from NBA players because of the way that you're approaching this. And so by allowing him to at least stay away from the team and not forcing him to report to camp or anything like that, which they could do, that is Mm -hmm. at least trying to stem the tide of that that negative reaction to what they're doing here with Iguodala. But ultimately, it's going to have to come to a head. Some way, somehow, he's not going to finish the season with the Memphis Grizzlies. Right, it's going to get louder and louder. I mean, this is the, I think he's the vice president of the Players Association as well. So it's kind of interesting to look at all the dynamics around. And, uh, yeah, I think it should get done sooner than later. I mean, I don't think Memphis wants that, uh, PR, that kind of uh, PR on them. They're trying to just grow a young team, so... It'll be interesting to see if they they agree to the buyout situation, yeah. But they're both just playing like chess at each other right now, just staring and see who blinks. <laughs> well, speaking of him, he's obviously a potential buyout option if that happens. Uh, I feel like, like Raj said, we're guard short. Is there any potential buyout options that could happen later on in the season at the guard spot that you guys would be interested in? Um, you know, it really depends. Like what it depends on what Alex Caruso does. If he steps up and looks like a legitimate second guard, that's somebody that you can you can turn to. Um other than that, like legitimate buyout guys, I don't know there's that many out there really. 
Um, like if things really fall apart in Toronto, we know Kyle Lowry is going to be on an expiring contract. So, I mean, that would be a big one, but I don't know that they just, they actually buy him out or anything, but, um, it's hard to predict who's really going to hit the market at this point, just because like I said, this is, this is the time for optimism. Everybody loves their team. Everybody thinks things are going to go great. And I think it's going to take, um, it's going to take some teams, facing reality and once they see they're not a playoff team until we see some of these guys you know come free the lakers will certainly be active we know that they don't have a whole lot of trade assets left so it's hard to see them being uh, super successful at the trade deadline so we know they're going to be aggressive in the buyout market but it, it's really hard to predict who's really going to be there for them yeah the, the guy i'm looking at is goran Dragic. um He's on his last year in Miami. Now Miami's trying to win. Obviously, they just signed Jimmy Butler, but if somehow things don't go right over there, I'm looking at him. He makes around $19 million, which is a little more than Iguodala, so it's still a lot to have to buy out. But maybe by the trade deadline, those two can kind of make an agreement. Um, that's really the only guy that I can think of at the guard spot that would that'd be able to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I would hope someone else maybe becomes available. You never know. It's the NBA. Uh, the contracts don't really ever matter anymore <laughs> we just saw stars get traded with three years left on their deals so um you never know oh with Dragic, i think it's more of a p- potential possibility that he gets traded to oklahoma city because there's still that chatter about chris paul going to miami All right, and right. i feel like if that happens and i feel like Dragic is a dead cert to almost be a buyout you know and while he probably won't be at his peak where he was in Phoenix, where he probably should have been an all-star, he'll still be more than likely the best point guard on our roster. And if we could get someone like that in the buyout market, and even without Igadal, I feel like that would be a huge help because it helps the score inside because if you've got another player alongside LeBron, AD, and Kuzma, we, we, we haven't even really talked about Kyle Kuzma this podcast. Obviously, he's got his stress reaction injury and... They're playing it as safe as possible, but hopefully he'll have a breakout season, most likely off the bench. You know, so it's very, it's a very exciting time for Laker fans out there, most most definitely. Oh, for sure, yeah. Every time there's a new season starting, it's it's exciting. But when you've got two guys together like Anthony Davis and LeBron James, it's there's that extra air of you know legitimacy. Like this team could be really really good, and we'll have to see what happens. But but yeah, certainly exciting time for Los Angeles. Oh, absolutely. So, just want to sign off by thanking both of you for being on the podcast today. Uh, if you could just give your Twitter handles and where people can reach out to you and read your stuff once more, it will be greatly appreciated. Sure, no problem. So, I mean, first of all, thanks so much for for having me on the show. But um, you can find me on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane, on Instagram at Trevor Lane NBA, and you sub- can subscribe to the Lakers Nation podcast and the NBA front office show on Apple Podcasts or basically wherever you find podcasts. Yeah, Alan, thanks for having me. It's great to talk to two great basketball minds, Trevor and as you as well. And uh, yeah, you can find me at Unwritten Rules. Uh, e is a three and. I'll be having work on the Lakers Outsiders, um, at least I'm at Lonzo Wire, and uh, you can follow our, pro- our podcast at the LA Forum podcast on Twitter. Yeah, I just want to say a big thank you. It's been a bit of a struggle tonight. It's almost 3 a.m. here in England, but we got through <laughs> it. We got through it. Uh, you got to get used to it. The Lakers are coming back, so that's oh, right. you guys started to get used to it. <laughs> thank goodness I have NBA League Pass. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I just want to say a huge thank you once more. Uh, follow me on Alan Ramage zero three at Twitter. If you can leave a five star rating on Apple Podcasts, it'll be greatly appreciated to get the podcast higher in the rankings. Thank you for listening. Hope to catch you all soon.